I titled this sermon in the wee hours of the morning, Thursday morning. I have often asked, how am I doing, Jesus? I have often asked, how am I doing, Jesus? Some years ago, I spoke on introspection, which is the process of examining our own thoughts or feelings, but it does not reveal the, the true condition of a person's heart. I can look in and try to assess my spiritual life, but I will fail. I won't be able to see it as it really is. Why? Because Jeremiah 17 and 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the rings, even to give every man according to his way and according to the fruits of his doing. I want to read that from the New Living Translation. It simply says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due reward according to what their actions deserve. How am I doing, Jesus? When it when it comes to describing humanity and our condition, God just simply told it like it was. In Romans 3, 23, he states, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is never erased until it is forgiven, and then it's washed away by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs 28 and 26 says, He that trusteth in his own heart is a what? A fool. Now that's what God said. He that trusteth in his own heart, introspection, can I look in here and really assess the condition of my heart before God? No. The psalmist prayed this in Psalms 139, 23 through 24. He said, search me, O God. And know my heart, try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. My goodness, I don't think I would have to put and see. You know what I'm talking about? I don't think I would have to put and see if there is any wicked way in me. I, I know some things about Larry. Like many ancient Israelites, churches are filled with people who will tell you that they have received Christ as their personal Savior, but they remained enslaved in their sin and in their acts of rebellion. The truth is many professing Christians are being influenced by something other than the Word of God. These influences have affected our values 
and our priorities. Spiritually speaking, our whole country is in a mess. There's a lot of people within it that is hurting. Really because we've lost our role models in this nation. One of them is too old to be out too much anymore. That's Billy Graham. There's ever been a role model in this nation. I think Billy Graham has been one. May God bless him today. Many of our leaders are lacking in morals. Some will blatantly state that they do not believe in moral absolutes. Some years ago, Mr. Ted Turner, the owner of CNN, declared that the Ten Commandments were obsolete. He said nobody around lacks to be commanded. Commandments are out. Isaiah said in chapter 5, in verse 20, Woe unto them that call evil good. I want to tell you, that woe goes to Ted Turner. But he's just one. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, and put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Possibly we've all heard someone say, what's right for you may not be right for me. You're entitled to your opinion. I don't believe it. And I'm not going to live by it. Many say my philosophy and they don't pull any punches. If it feels good, do it. In the mind of many, nothing is right or wrong anymore. There's just difference of opinions. Different words to describe different sins in which they have kindly softened it up a little bit. Some years ago, a poll was taken and said 67% of those interviewed stated that they did not believe in moral absolutes. 67%. Quite a few thousand were interviewed. And I believe the number was even higher among baby boomers. I thought when Steve was playing the bagpipes and it was flashing a lot of stuff on there about World War I, my dad, he handled a lot of horses and mules during World War I. And also, he shot a machine gun at times. He did not get wounded by a bullet, but he got wounded, Carol, so deep so deep that he would not watch a war picture. He didn't want to talk about war. There's a lot of wounded people in this country and they are suffering some because we have 
thrown morality behind us. And we're introducing people every day to a new way to sin. In spite of all, we tell them that they are not going to be held responsible for it. They don't believe in principles of right and wrong. They don't believe in conforming to any kind of biblical standard. They feel that they are independent of arbitrary standards or any kind of measurement. And I don't personally believe that it's right to take a ruler and try to measure everybody by your own spiritual standard. No, you're going to be required for the way you live your life. And so you have to let the Holy Spirit deal with other people concerning theirs. Absolutes. Being governed by or characteristics of a ruler or authority completely free from constitutional or other restraints. That's what arbitrary means. Describe anybody that you know. Don't pay any attention to the Constitution of the United States. They just do it their way. Arbitrary depending on their own individual discretion. Not a fixed law. Not restrained or limited in the exercise of power. Ruling by absolute authority. It's an arbitrary government. They just throw everything aside. And do whatever they want to do. And that's where this nation is going. Isaiah wrote in chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, not shoulders, shoulder. I may speak a little bit about that on Easter morning. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Boy, this verse 7 would like to cause me to tear my chair up Thursday morning. I'm not a real emotional guy, but this got to me. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. Hallelujah. How would you like to be in a place where Jesus Christ is supreme, amen, where he rules, amen, where he is the governor? And then he says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts What does it say? We'll perform this. Give him a good hand clap. He deserves it. Now I want to read verse 17 or 7 out of the New Living Translation. 
It says his government and its peace will never end. You get that on there? That, that's a, another version other than the, the uh, new living, but that's, that's good. His government and its peace will never end. It will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's army will make this happen. I, I guess you're probably wondering, what in the world? Where is this guy going this morning? Well, Steve, lock that door back there. Those two little words in verse 6 says, unto us actually means for our benefit. In chapter 6 of Isaiah, the prophet describes a time of darkness. In verse 1, he says, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. And in verse 2 it says, The people who walk in darkness will see great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And we know that Isaiah was describing the Messiah, Jesus. And then flipping over to Matthew chapter 4, 13 through 17, it says, When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judah and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth, then left there and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who live in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent for your sins, repent of your sins, and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Notice again with me, verse 6 of Isaiah, I mean, chapter 6, verse 9, where he said, the government, shall be upon his shoulders. If I can get that right, 9 verse 6, I believe. According to Micah 5 and 2, the Bible said that Jesus was going to be born in Judah, Judea. Matthew chapter 2 tells us that he was born during the reign of King Herod. 
The wise men came from the east to Jerusalem asking, where is he that is born king of the Jews? They wanted to worship him. The act of showing respect and love for some deity. They wanted to worship Jesus. And when Herod heard this, he became deeply disturbed. He gathered all the chief priests and scribes and demanded of them where Christ should be born. Matthew records their answer in chapter 2, verse 6. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a, what? Governor that shall rule my people Israel. Psalms 22 was written by David and is a a messianic chapter. In verse 28, he said, For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. Isn't that something? Reading Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, Daniel said, I saw in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, Father God. And they brought him near before him. Reading 14 out of the New Living, it said, He approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence. He was given authority and honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. The bottom line here this morning, folk, he is the rightful governor and ruler of all nations. And according to the governor's own words, there are some moral absolutes. Now hear me this morning. Introspection, which is the process of examining our own thoughts or feelings, does not reveal our true condition before God. In order to know our true condition, we must turn to God like the psalmist did. Search me, O Lord. I did that Thursday morning in the wee hours. And I feel that God led me to take a closer look at the Ten Commandments. God gave these commandments to Moses and spoke these words concerning Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29. Oh, that there were such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with the children forever. Kindly paraphrasing them, it says, have no other gods. 
Have no idols. Do not take God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your father and your mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet. Although these are Old Testament, if you look deeply, every one of them is in the New Testament. So a lot of people ignore them. And they say, ah, Brother Brown, and that's all Old Testament. But I want to tell you this morning, every one of those commandments are in the New Testament. And they're full of meaning. The first commandment is found in Exodus 20 and 3. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Before me literally means to my face. You know, my sister was one of the most precious Christians, a prayer warrior, suffered a lot because of her desire to pray. Her husband slapped her, kicked her, abused her because of her prayer life. She just kept praying. Before she left here, he got saved. But I remember one time we had a Christmas together and Pam and I traveled to Arkansas to, uh, I believe it was my brother's home, and we were all there on Christmas morning, and they started opening up gifts, and uh, my sister, uh, my nephew, gave my sister a gift, and she opened it up, and it was a big old Buddha. She was just so proud of that Buddha. She was going to take that thing home and maybe set it by her door and I said to her, I wouldn't have that thing in my house. You know, I don't have a rabbit foot on my keychain. It didn't do the rabbit any good. I don't have a cross that I hold when I get in trouble. It won't help you. I don't have a horseshoe over my door. I don't believe that it can bring me good luck. I don't believe in good luck charms. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Word of God. Amen. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Nothing. Clyde said it earlier. Nothing is to come before God. Speaking to the devil in Luke 4 and 8, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And then Jesus said in John 4, 23, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. I was running all this through my mind, and every once in a while I would stop and say, How am I doing, Jesus? How am I doing, Jesus? Have I got anything in my house? Lord, that shouldn't be here. Do I have anything in this house? Where 
are my priorities, Lord? How clean is my heart before you, Lord? Search me, O God. The second commandment is found in Exodus 20 and 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. 1 John 5 and 20 and 21 says, And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Then in verse 21, he says, Little children, keep yourself from idols. You know, sometimes idols can be little red cards. An idol is anything that you put a priority on above God. God has got to be first in our life. The third commandment is found in Exodus 20 and 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not, what? Hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And I tell you, you use his name in vain. There's some repercussions to that. We can break the third commandment by using the name of God in profanity. And I've heard that. We've talked about that several times in our Sunday school. You, you, you bear with me. I know it's getting close to chicken time. But this is better than chicken. Lorinda Carter put in our bulletin 40 years ago, I guess, profanity is a public proclamation of stupidity. I've never forgot it. But we can also break this commandment by swearing falsely. And he tells us that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old times, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, and shalt perform unto the Lord thine oath. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of of the great king, neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh from what? Evil. I could have 
spent the whole morning on each one of these. Been ten Sundays. The fourth commandment is found in Exodus 20 and 8. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. I do not want to get into a discussion or a debate concerning which day of the week we as Christians should honor as the day of worship. I do want to read Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 where the writer says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as ye see the day approaching. Now, this is for the purpose of public worship. I believe that's what he was talking about, public worship. Perhaps we could read it out of the New Living Translation. It would help us to understand a little bit better what the writer was saying. He, in in uh, the New Living, it says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. Now, when it comes to Harrison Baptist's congregation, he's not talking about meetings that are going on over here in Quitman. He's not talking about meetings that are going on down here in Gilberttown or up in Melvin. No, he's referring to the meetings that we're having right here. You are a member of Harrison Baptist Church. And he says, don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together. Whenever the church assembles, do all you can do to be there. I already get a hearty amen for that. He's referring to our meetings. How am I doing, Jesus? Do I need to tighten up some, Lord? Now just bear with me. I'm, I'm going to go through this. I, I, I just got six more to go. The fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. To dishonor parents uh, is costly. And many have paid a terrible price for their rebellion against their parents. And also parents have paid a terrible price for abusing their own children. And Paul speaks about that in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother. You see it there? That it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And then he says, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The sixth commandment is in Exodus 20 and 13. It says, thou shalt not kill. Well, to make a, a, a long story short there, I just want to read 1 John 3, 14, 15. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. 
Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not commit a murder. A murder, there it is. Love your brother. The seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. According to Galatians chapter 5, 19, adultery is an act of the flesh. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27 and 28, ye have heard that it was said of them of old, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman, and I can believe I can add man to lust after him or her, hath committed adultery with her or him already in his heart. We aren't innocent of adultery just because we didn't have the opportunity to commit the act. We can be found guilty by way of looking. The eighth commandment is in Exodus 20 and 15 says, Thou shalt not steal. Ephesians 4, 28 and 29 says, Let him that stole steal no more. In verse 29 he says, Let no corrupt, no corrupt communications proceed out of your mouth. Wow. Wow. And don't forget, you can steal from God. Sacrilege. It's in the Bible. And the ninth commandment is, thou shalt not bear false witness. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, but now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, Blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not. To one another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. A Christian brother named Redpath said, How very strange that we have ever come to think that Christian maturity is shown by the ability of speaking our mind, whereas it is really expressed in controlling our tongues. He said it right. And finally, the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet. Wow, I had to read this thing three or four times. David Guzik said, all the first nine commandments focus more on things we do. The tenth deals straight with the heart and its desires. Literally, the word for covet here means to pant after. Covetness works like this. The eyes look upon an object. The mind admires it. The will goes over to it. And the body moves to possess it. God sees the desires of our heart. You don't hide anything from Him. You must not covet your neighbor's house. 
That's what he says in Exodus 20, 17. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife or husband. You must not covet their male servant or female servant, their ox or their donkey. You must not covet their land. You must not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Covetness is idolatry. Did you know that? Idolatry is the worship of something other than God. And I'm going to close by reading eight verses out of Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness, that means that that comes in on the TV, that means that that's on the movie screen, amen, that means that that's on your iPhone or, or iPad, all uncleanness or covetousness. Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an adulterer, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God, or of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Then I got two big words. It says, the end. <laughs> That's the part you've been waiting for. Listen. This was my title. How am I doing, Jesus? How am I? And that's what I asked him. I, I woke up four something in the morning, and this was on my mind. How am I doing, Jesus? And I believe he led me to take another look at the Ten Commandments, and I did. I just touched a little bit on them, Brother Paul. But he found some things in me. I'm not fishing for anything in you this morning, but if the Holy Spirit baited the hook and dangled it and caught you, then you talk to him about it. I believe I've done what he instructed me to do. 
you know the Bible says that we preachers must be first partaker of the fruit. I've been chewing on this for a while. But it wasn't just Thursday morning that I have asked this question. Rita, I ask that question a lot. A man told me yesterday, he said, Brother Browning, if, if you don't make it in, I don't have a chance. And I said, listen, without Jesus, I don't have a chance. My goodness, I can see so much that I need. And, and my only hope is Jesus. I have to throw myself upon his mercy and upon his grace. So let God speak to you. Again, I don't mean to pick on Clyde, but I believe I heard him say this morning, he's coming. He's coming. And we need to be ready.